Welcome to Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast does in-depth reviews of the book covering everything from first edition to the newest story path edition of the materials published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more. My name is Scott. I am one of the hosts of this year podcast. You can find me on Twitter at SimulacraRPGs and on Twitch and YouTube at SimulacraTV, which is the actual play studio where I do a whole mess of Trinity Continuum games. And I'm Josh Heath. I am one of the other hosts of this amazing podcast. And just to remind folks, we are a member of the D20 Radio Network. If you are not familiar with the D20 Radio Network, you should go to d20radio.com and learn about all the amazing podcasts that are part of our wonderful network, including today's shout out, Miskatonic University, a Call of Cthulhu role-playing show that does interviews, actual plays, and discussions about Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraftian related role-playing games. So, if that's your thing, go and check those guys out. So today we are continuing our discussion on Aberrant First Edition, the book Worldwide Phase One, which was the first big chunk of adventures that we got for Aberrant. We discussed the first two scenarios last time, and today we are getting much more into the, the more action-packed ones. The first ones were, were kind of political, very social. This one, this is where the fireworks go out. And we have two stories that we're talking about today, one of which is far more adaptable to Trinity Continuum than the other one is. Yes, that's true. Uh, the first one is called Gabriel, which with a little bit of tweaking could be very easily put into the Trinity Continuum. Yeah, I uh, actually think you could almost pull this straight and you wouldn't have to do a whole lot to adjust yeah, it. I, right? I think if you were to replace Project Proteus and... You know, the, the Bahrain facility with like the rational experiment group. Yeah. That would be pretty, that would be a pretty like hot swap. And you, you, it'd be very easy to just straight up run the scenario. So this scenario is definitely inspired by things like the Waco tragedy at the Branch Davidian compact, less so Ruby Ridge, but you know, just sort of. Things that go terribly wrong or have the possibility to go terribly wrong. It really mostly is Branch Davidian inspired, you know, yeah. the, the, that that cult. But it is about a Nova by the name of Gabriel, who is who has become the leader of the Church of the Intimate Eschaton, which is a organization mentioned in the core book as a religion kind of a pseudo new age new age christian religion that deifies novas and gabriel is a nova who has come to lead this church he's very very powerful and very dangerous his abilities are incredibly dangerous that could lead to a massive loss of life in a number of ways and in the trinity in the aeon first edition storyline he was basically kidnapped by Project Proteus, put into one of the their facilities where he was experimented on horribly and made made to be even more unstable and dangerous. Right. 
but he has hence escaped and is very mad about that and is sort of riding this line between righteous anger and like paranoid rage. Yep. And the interesting thing just to add to the linkage is he actually was working on the Sahara project. Yes. So it links into that last um, adventure. If you want to have that link there, I feel like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I applaud them for trying to create a link there. His abilities have, have some, some, carry over there yeah uh but yeah so he is you know he has the capacity to unleash terrible plagues that could probably kill most of the continental united states uh and north america uh and a lot of people don't like that (laughs) a lot of people are interested in that not happening and so there is a tense showdown at the eschaton uh, compound uh wherein the fate of this nova and the fate of a great number of people has to be decided and the scenario changes significantly based off what faction, if any, your characters are a part of. And much with every other scenario in this book, every option is well supported. Yep. Yep. The only thing I don't like about this scenario, the scenario of uh, eventually you stake out around the compound and all these groups are kind of standing there looking at each other trying Mm -hmm. to decide who's going to pull the trigger and jump right right the only thing i don't like about it is it's a little dull yeah until you take action right Mm -hmm. and so they set up a lot of the tension that in a real life scenario like this there's lots of tension and waiting and communicating that happens between groups that i think would be hard for a role-playing group to feel like it was engaging yeah you'd have to you'd have to run this in a very particular way Mm -hmm. you'd have to do a lot to build atmosphere you'd have a lot to build tension you know you'd have to sort of you'd have to establish the stakes of not just you know if you want to play this this part of the scenario out of like Raising the stakes, making it clear that, hey, just brash action is – we need to prepare before we do anything, and we've got to play this little game of, of chess with all the other factions to get ourselves into the right position. Yep, and it would be really good if you did little briefing meetings, right, yes, with the yes. different groups. There's a reason for that. Maybe you are Aeon, like mm-hmm. people, and you're briefing all of these different groups, and the Terrigen shows up, and you're like – Normally, we would not brief them, mm-hmm. but we there's someone on that squad that we want to work with that mm-hmm. could help us, yeah. so we will bring them in, right? Like, there's yeah. lots of opportunities for that. Absolutely, yeah. There's 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 definitely some give and take here, but yeah, I mean this this scenario has a lot of tension in it, a lot of stakes. And, you know, they kind of describe various ways of approaching because the, the the goal for the sort of the story is to get your characters in contact with Gabriel himself and talk him down, talk him through, convert him, try and try and resolve the situation. And they have have a, a very good they give all very good reasons why all the play parties do not want, you know, a massive plague because they, they kind of have to like. Tease it out a little bit with the Terrigen. Right. Uh, like, but some of like, yeah, there may be a couple of us who are down with this, but it won't kill all of them. And that's still, that, that'll leave us with more problems. 
which yeah. I think is a kind of kind of funny way of getting around to having your Terrigens be be somewhat heroic uh, in yeah. this moment. Yeah. The other thing that we never clarified this, we said he was dangerous. He has these powers. He has virus slash disease creation powers. Yeah. Like Bi bio manipulation is another right. way they put it. Some passive where he just wanders around and suddenly people get sick with cholera and etc. Like, well, I won't say basic diseases, but yeah. like things that are not immediately deadly, right? Like, mm -hmm harmful bad news but he can also cure them so like all his people are sick but then he magically magic quote unquote he uses his quantum powers passively to heal them every day in prayer right the interesting thing is like when he escapes you there is a little bit of this story like where he escapes from project proteus and the bahrain facility and if you track him along that you can do so by the diseases randomly yeah. like cholera randomly like breaks out in puerto rico or i think it might be the dominican republic one of those islands that he stops on on the way back to his compound right i actually think i if i ran this i would run that part as an essential element of the story where the players were able to start trying to track him probably missing him at every part but having a little bit of that cat and mouse would increase the investment that the players have in staking out and then trying to prevent the bigger problem from happening. Yeah, I think that would be a really cool way of leading up and have giving some more, you know, juice to play with to really build the tension and, you know, sort of establish the scenario as serious and dangerous. Yeah. And the 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 other thing that I think is an interesting wrinkle that's provided in here is they've created Proteus has created this antivirus. They never call it that in this mm -hmm. book, but effectively it's an antivirus that shuts down his disease creation powers, his biomanipulation powers, just long enough to kill him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there there are, you know, there's a lot of different factions and some of them want to capture, some of them want to kill. But, you know, they they make it easy for anyone to get their hands on this this kill shot, essentially, or just and because even the, even with the Terrigen, they're all like, all right, we might we we it may be a good idea to shut this guy down yep. so that we can transport him so that we can get him get him out of the danger zone. So, yeah, they, they put that on the field for everyone to get their hands on. The only thing that makes that not work is that when you finally get to the rules for how these darts work, it takes seven rounds. Oh, yeah. After he's been hit with one for him to pass out. Yeah. And that's just, that's, I don't know what the right word. It's not illogical. It's just unlikely time-wise for a role-playing game that seven rounds would go by for yeah, especially when they make it fairly clear just how quickly he can deploy these these plagues. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So the rules don't. I mean, you're going to have to change the rules if you're going to update this to Trinity Continuum anyway. Tweak that if you want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Just make that a little bit snappier. It mm -hmm. could be two rounds, and I, that would be like, yeah, that fits. Two rounds where you have to distract him 
and maybe you're talking to him. He doesn't realize somehow that he just got injected with this thing. Yeah. Fine. But all of that is after you get into the compound, right? Mm -hmm. And they like don't really give you exact ways in. They give you mm -hmm. a few suggestions, including his assistant who yeah. might reach out and say, hey, I'm worried about him. I would like someone to come in and try and talk him down from this. Because I can't really, and because he's just bulls out. He, he like, she really recognizes he's too charismatic. He's, you know, yeah. I, I can't talk to him. Yep. Yeah. They definitely, uh, yeah, they leave you a lot of open doors to how to how to maneuver the situation. They also give you some pretty good toolkits, like they have some sort of generic NPCs who can fit as opposing uh, members of of uh, any faction that you're going up against. Uh, for like, you know, when 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 things are really getting tense and another faction comes in to to oppose you and and try and accomplish an alternate goal. They really do play out a lot of different scenarios of how it could go. I mean, yep. there's a whole there's a whole contingency of essentially nuking Las Vegas. Yeah. Is is a plan and, and they tell you how it happens and what happens and how the aftermath would be managed from that. Because basically, if he releases the plagues, the only feasible way, and they make it fairly clear, to stop the plagues from going beyond in the you know the, the the Las Vegas area is to nuke Vegas. You know it's, yep. it's a disease. You have to kill the vector. Yep. And that's a really horrific scenario. Yep. And they also they're very clear. They're like they don't know for sure if it would even work. Yeah. You know they don't know like depending on what he creates, it could be nuclear resistant, right? Yeah. And like it's just a one of the generals that's involved is like I I got to have some sort of fail safe, and this is a seventy percent successful mm -hmm. solution yeah we'll have it in case we need yeah. it right yeah like they say they basically say even if like it could be the thing that some of the plagues that he releases are radiation resistance yep. so some of them might get out even if it's not an entire total thing but yeah, yeah no that's pretty grim and you know this as with all of these books this is like we said last time this is about the wheels coming off this yep. is about you know Showing that the golden age of Novas is not a tenable long-term situation. Yeah. Uh, I really think this is a well-crafted scenario. Mm -hmm. If your group is comfortable engaging with the material, right? Yes. Yes. Life and death, death and cultic behavior and conspiracies, right? Like I personally would keep Gabriel believing that Proteus was the one that did this to him. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is, maybe it's a faction within Proteus that has done so in the Trinity Continuum, right? Or it's another group that pretended to be Project yeah. Utopia. I, right? Like I said, I would see the rational experiment group like yep. as sort of a like, well, we like we know Proteus exists. And if this goes bad, we can just pretend that we were them. We can we can put all the thing and, and we'll kill two birds with one stone. So we'll we'll blackball an enemy and uh, and get what we want about out of this. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you're definitely right. This does deal with a lot of cultic behavior. I do like that Gabriel Gabriel is a complicated character. Yes. He's definitely very troubled and you know has he has a lot of uh, what they call in first edition, he has got a taint problem, which you know that might be something to consider in the Trinity Continuum because transcendence and taint are not the same thing. 
although they still can lead to similar outcomes. So you're going to have to think real hard about how that manifests. But other than sort of, I don't get the impression that Gabriel is sort of your average cult leader and that he's like super abusive, you know, that he abuses his, his, his sort of social control over people. He does make people sick. Like he he, he does hurt people. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between passively hurting people and being kind of, you know, the narcissistic gaslighting cult leader that normal. So I like that they kind of put some nuance in there that, you know, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, his power and his experiences has turned him in to this very dangerous person, he wouldn't be necessarily a villain. Yeah. And you could, in theory, negotiate and I don't want to say logicize him, but you mm-hmm. could convince him effectively, like, come, come down, chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you, you, yeah, it's possible to talk him down, particularly if you are with, say, the, the aberrants, at least the first edition aberrants yep. or the Terrigen. Like, yep. that, there's a lot more ends with that because he is convinced that Proteus and Utopia are his enemies. And he's not, they say that he's not really going to give, he will talk to you if you're pro, if you are a part of, utopia but he is always going to be coming from the the angle of i will convince you yeah i will show you the light Uh, but i but that is why i am talking to you not so that you can try and talk me down so that i can show you the light yeah whereas you know if you come from the perspective of yeah utopia is corrupt and they do bad things either from an aberrant perspective or a terrigen perspective he'll be much more likely to listen to you and more much likely to to deal with you on sort of equals because it will like, okay, you already know the truth. Right. Like I don't need to convince you of the truth so we can talk more on an equal level. They do say that even if you're able to rescue Gabriel, the way they detail out the scenario is that he will eventually come to a point of lucidity and realize that he is too far gone and will destroy himself. That is how they detail it out. That's not necessarily what you have to do in your scenario. But I understand why they do that so, so that you don't have like this super weapon, like just hanging around hanging in your campaign. Yeah. yeah, hanging out being potentially a big problem, right? Yeah. Personally, I would love if he had a Daedalus League member in yeah. his group and looked around and was like, I can't live here anymore, mm-hmm. but I can ascend. Yeah. Right. I can go, I can go somewhere else. You know, maybe I can go to Europa or somewhere so I can be close. And what would be interesting if he starts terraforming said place Mm -hmm. he goes to, right. And then it's a great Aeon plot down the road. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, what's happening on Europa, right. Or IO or one of those moons. It's like the, the ice has started to crack around Europa and things are getting a lot warmer. Yep. What's happening. That would actually be an incredible Aeon plot. Yeah, it would be cool. But yeah, so it's a great scenario. I think, like you said, it doesn't need much adaptation. I fully suggest you read it if that sounds like something you'd want to run in your aberrant campaign. But we really need to switch gears and talk about the next one, unless you have any final thoughts about Gabriel. Just the one thing that I would have either Margaret Mercer or Max himself be present for a couple of seconds on screen in this Mm -hmm. because it's a pivot point. Yes. It is a major pivot point in the timeline, and I just see them being present and aware of it, and that's the only thing I would add to this. Yeah. So the next scenario, which is the big daddy, it is the yeah. 
you, it's so cool and so good, but from a Trinity Continuum perspective, it's, I think, completely unsalvageable. Yeah, I think this is completely, unless, okay, so context. Yes. This adventure is the exploration of the slider assassination mm -hmm. in first edition. And this is, uh, I had forgotten, I'm like, why do I know so much about the slider event and mm -hmm. all these like micro details until I got back to this and was like, oh, right. Because this tells you everything like Basically, down yes. to who the responding the most... police officers were and mm -hmm. things like that. Who were the most likely people involved? It's like, oh, okay. Now I see like we have all these details, right? They talked about a lot of this about in the storyteller screen. Like they had kind of a preview of this in terms of, a, of an adventure that dealt with this, but this is the meat. This is like, this is how it all went down. These are the most likely options. I mean, they, they basically say the most likely option is Cherubin, a Proteus agent that did that. But they give you options. They, they tell you things of like other, other th ways that you could play it out. And I, I have to mention, because this is when, this is when White Wolf looked back at its fans and saw, saw them and responded to them in a sort of very fanish way. Because the title of this adventure, as we said last time, is Into the Arms of the Angel of Wrath. Yes. Which I'm fairly certain we have described this joke before, but it bears repeating because it's one of the funniest things that's ever happened in, like, role-playing history. Yes. So when the Terrigen book came out, this was our first revelation that Divis Maul, Michael Donegal, was homosexual. Yep. That he had a, a, a male partner. And it's just sort of the way it was. One of the like watershed moments in in role playing history. This openly gay, very powerful, very important character, and it wasn't made out as like a huge deal. It was just a a fact about him. It was right. so well done. Yep. And within probably days, someone on the White Forum White Wolf Forum made a post titled Divis Maul is gay, what the fuck? And just had this like the most stupid, ignorant post about like, why are they shoving this down our throats? It's the same shit that we're dealing with today. It's yep. the same bullshit of people who can't just wrap their heads around people not being exactly like the majority of the, the mainstream. Yep. And probably within hours, someone made a second post that said, Divis Maul has arms? What the fuck? <laughs> because, you know, being gay and having arms are as, are as exactly as normal. Yep. Like, as exactly as, as, as a, a perfectly natural thing for people to be. And the second thread was far more popular and far more funny and has persisted to this day as one of, like, the cultural touchstones of the trinity games and role playing in general yeah and you thing... just have to mention arms in yes. anything with people who any tiny bit in the know and they will immediately understand the reference so that they named this adventure this like seminal adventure into the arms of the angel of wrath was just it was it was a moment where i felt seen and i'm pretty yes. sure everyone else who, who who frequented those forums felt seen but this is set up, this adventure is set up running along a premise of a Terrigen Aberrant Alliance. 
Yep. Essentially, they have come to this point of we have too much in common and the stakes are too high not to work together because Proteus, you know, from Aberrant's perspective, Proteus has gotten away with far too much and needs to be stopped. From the Terrigen perspective, Proteus and Utopia as a whole need to be taken down. Yep. So there's some there could be some conflict in the overall mission, but enough overlaps that the movers and shakers in both movements have decided to put aside whatever disagreements exist in order to achieve a core mission. And this sort of has multiple angles to it, depending on what faction you're in. Like if you're if you're part of a Proteus, then you have this nightmare alliance that you're having to deal with. And you know, maybe you find out more about what you're not supposed to know along the way and have to have a very, very conflicted thing. I mean, if you're fronting Prote Proteus, a Proteus faction, first of all, you're you're bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> right. But you have another, like, you know, things are much clearer for you if you're Proteus. Yep. I, I genuinely think, like, this is set up to be an aberrant camp like campaign yep. that, that's who yep. you should like that's but a terrigen would also be perfectly i i can't feel i can't see feeling good about myself running utopia I, because they're the bad guy here because they right? are the bad guys even if they yep. don't know even if they're they're duped and they you know they're going along this line you in order to like feel at all heroic or at all you know intelligent you have to be able to figure out the truth by the end of it Sure. Uh, and and you know come to a a, a more reasonable decision, but uh, it's set up in sort of this like you know either you're on the defense or you're part of the two alliance members, whereas the aberrants are focused on uncovering the evidence, exposing, getting the evidence on Proteus, nailing down the the evidence on the slider murder, whereas the Terrigen are going to be focused on attacking Proteus facilities to disrupt them, to rescue people, or to just put a stop to their, their abuse of Novas. And it all sort of, those two things culminate when Andre Corbin, you know, who is blamed for the death of Slider, comes to the Bahrain facility to turn himself in to Utopia. Yep. And the Terrigen, you know, the Terrigen and the Aberrants are there to achieve a whole mess of goals while that happens. Because basically they're, they're saying, okay, while Corbin's doing his thing, we'll use that distraction to achieve all these other goals. And there certainly is a distraction that occurs. Yes. But it's not necessarily the Corbin thing. This, this is meta-plotty as hell. Yep. Like, you have to realize this is a meta-plot adventure. But the way they set it up is... All of these big, huge meta-plotty things with all of these big-name characters are set up as a distraction for you to do the, the job. Whatever the job is you're doing, trying to capture or kill Corbin, trying to free Novas, trying to you know unveil the slider thing. These huge events that you know have a, provide an excellent distraction give you cover to do whatever it is that you're going to be doing in the scenario. Have you ever run this scenario, Josh? I have not. I've wanted to. I've reread this multiple times, but I never ran it because I was like, I don't. It's really two different stories. Yes. With the same connectors, right? It, yeah. I 
have included some of the elements of the of the investigation into Slider's murder, but the the meeting at the end, I have never run that because I it's so hard to do so with players and have them feel like they're actually involved in the story. So I actually have run this scenario, and mm-hmm. I think I I happened to do it in probably the best way you could you could because I ran it as a part of a play by email campaign. Ah, cool. So I could just text block, you know, this is going on. Like I, I basically chunked up the big text block into into bite sized bits, and so this is happening. What are you doing while this is happening? Yep. Like we kind of we kind of played it out all the, with the various characters as they were doing their various things while the unavoidable firestorm was happening outside. Yep. And not not to belabor the point. What happens here is first edition Cestus Pax and first edition Diva Small have their big Superman fight. Yep. Yeah, they have a massive quantum throwdown. And, you know, this is one of those uns- unsalvageable things because Cestus Pax is an entirely different character. He's a huge asshole. He enjoys throwing his weight around. And he wanted to provoke Divis Maul to show up so that he could defeat him and prove himself the biggest badass around. That is not what happens. Not at all. Maul just wipes the floor with him. Almost like he plays with mm-hmm. him for just long enough where he's like i'm letting you realize how much more powerful i am than you mm-hmm. by letting you hit me a couple of times and knock me around and then i'm gonna just stop this yeah because he can shut down his power yep which is how he event and, and then and ends the conflict eventually and we we get in this description definitely the best description of cestus pax that we have yet in terms of his yep. personality, his ability, and even like we get even a little bit more than we got in the Terrigen book on Divis Maul, yep. because you know this is a scenario where you're supposed to actively use him as a character. Like this is a scenario which probably, if your characters aren't Terrigen, is probably one of the first, if not one of the only times you're probably going to be face to face with Maul, yep. unless the campaign goes on, you know, farther into the future. And I love the way they describe Maul in this. They yeah. kind of give his personality, how he interacts with why he's doing the things he's doing. Like he's playing this cat and mouse game and he might be a little misguided in the way he's doing it. And certainly it doesn't have the result that he wants it to have Yeah, because, you know, he's trying to show Pax. He's trying, he's trying to like shock Pax out of his mindset yep. and like realize like, okay, everything that you've been fed not true. We have to reset our relationship if we're going to have a productive relationship. It doesn't do that. It it drives Pax into this vengeful, obsessive state that contributes to the worsening of baselines and human Novan relations. And yeah, it, it doesn't go the way any of them expect them expected it to. Uh, but I think this is where probably we can get the most useful bit out of this adventure and it is yep. examination of Divis Maul and how it describes him and Pax and their personalities and their power because they have a very excellent description of what is Quantum 6 like versus what is Quantum 8 like. Yep. And they have an incredibly concise description of like, you know, Pax can hit cities. Maul can arc his plasma blasts around planets like he he is he is the scale of power and this is the difference between trinity continuum and first edition in trinity continuum all is quantum 10 yep. and essentially just purely omnipotent 
Yep. Uh, whereas he's still incredibly powerful at Quantum 8, but they give you a much more, I think, useful description of what Maul's powers are like and how they how they function and how you can portray them. Yep. Which I think having that limiter, I, I think I like Quantum 8 more than I like Quantum 10 Maul, at I, least in the Aberrant era. I'm in the same boat where I'm like, he's got to have a little bit of growth space because when he hits 10, he goes out and creates his own universe, right? Like yeah. he's not, he should not be there yet. He should be close, but not there yet. Yeah. I, I, it was, I mean, we talked about when this, when we talked about Proteus Nova compendium, how we were going to have this conversation about it. And yeah, I mean, they, I like that they describe him as being essentially omnipotent yep. Um, in terms of like, what you consider like you're at a normal Nova to be. He's just leaves the buzz, but he's not at that scale of, of universe creation and just like utterly manipulating and warping reality around him. He's not quite there yet. And they also describe that even though he has essentially infinite power and he can manifest any power he wants within certain limits, he still has kind of this core of plasma manipulation. Yep. Like that is where I where they, they give you the impression that his power began, yep. which is really cool because as a physicist in the 1920s, you know, plasma is this relatively new thing that people on the bleeding edge of physics are, are really starting to grapple with. And it makes sense for him to manifest his power at that time with that ability. It also it, it it fits the what he is as a stalwart right there at mm -hmm. the beginning and the the next step right for him where he's like I, I'm super strong and I've got these like I'm a little bit extra charismatic and these things like and then this inner fire like fire is a metaphor that he is associated with for a reason right yes. inner fire this Prometheus flame. That and is who, and it's not is, just right? it's not just fire. It is right. a step beyond fire. What normal right. what normal mortals wield? Right. I wield plasma. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, like I said, the most useful thing in this, if you want to port it over, because there's just too much meta plot. There's too much first edition in this story. So I actually think you could salvage almost all of the investigation. Yeah. Yes. By making it the death of someone who is not a Nova, but triggers all these things be because people are like, what is this energy signature around mm -hmm. them? And they turn out to be a Syad, right? They turn right. out to be related to Barano in some fashion, not, you know, relation, not like uh, family relationship, but related to her in some way. Mm -hmm. And that ties you into the big meta plot of TC, right? Yeah, like, you and could then you can do yeah. almost all of this. Exactly. Yeah, you could you could definitely work that as an ankle. But yeah, it's it's just a cool read. Like yep. beyond everything else, it's just a cool read. Like as I mentioned last time, this is as much a story yep. as it is role playing adventures. And yep, this as is a, a story, book to read great. over and over and over mm -hmm. again, right? It's just so well written and such an interesting concept that you're right. Even if you never run it, I think every Trinity Continuum fan should read this book more than any other book that mm -hmm. we've talked about before. I've said that before, but like, it's just so good to read that I think people should do so. Especially if you're going to be having Maul on screen for anything serious, because it tells you 
how he thinks, how yeah. he talks to people, you know, the, the the arguments that he makes, the lines that he doesn't cross. Like you, they basically say, if your characters present a good argument to him, he will listen to it, but he's not going to change his mind about his fundamental beliefs. He's had too much time to think about them. Yep. I really like that. I like too that he will stop and listen because it mm -hmm. shows that he's not this megalomaniac. He's a reasonable person, right? And he, when he hears interesting arguments, he'll go, okay, I'll think about that. It's not going to change my mind yeah. right now. We should talk and, later. Yeah. And literally would invite the players to, okay, like come to a meeting, like come to a dinner, whatever. Dinner with Maul would be. Mm -hmm such a good story it would be fantastic like you know yep. let, let's let's get away from the cameras let's get away from the expectations of our lessers and actually yep. talk yeah but yeah i mean like they, they give you a really good way of how to how to role play this guy and they talk about that in sort of the themes and the mood of like this is about revelation this is about a defying of expectations you know you have this expectation of as pax as being this super good Superman guy, but he's really just a petty asshole in this version of the story. And yep. you have this vision of Maul as this supervillain, this terrible monster. And he's really powerful and can do some really powerful and dangerous things. But he, like you said, at his heart, he's a scholar. He's a reasonable person. He's a philosopher. And if you will talk with him, he will talk back to you and have a civil conversation. They mentioned that if anyone tries to like, like attack him or you know oppose him, he will as politely and gently swat you down with as little effort as possible. Yep. But he will do that. Yep. The the idea of someone like chasing at him with a quantum blast or something, mm -hmm. and him just kind of pointing and going, "No, we'll yeah. talk later." Yeah. F and no. that's it. Mm -mm. Okay. All right. I see. We're not. We're not there yet. Right. <laughs> yeah it's this whole book this whole book i think is required reading yep. because there's so much in it if only for inspiration yep. that you can mine and use and even if you don't use a lick of it even if you're you're just going to stick to sort of vanilla trinity continuum and not bring in any of this stuff that is really really deeply tied to the metaplot of first edition inspiration in terms of role play and how to play characters you know little ideas here and there it's chock full of everything you need to really run a thematic very capital a aberrant game yep. uh, because this this was probably the height this and the terrigen book i think are like yep. so emblematic of of what aberrant is a hundred percent this book has influenced my storytelling ability since, mm -hmm. right? It is, yes. it is absolutely, if you run games, you should read this just to get a feel for um, the, a masterclass book of how to do so. Um, and even adventure design, if you're writing something, mm -hmm. read this because uh, there are better versions, better adventures out there, but very few yes. that are written this well. Like if you have a setting that has multiple factions, attempting to accomplish a different goal and you want to have either the the you know the players running all from a specific faction or if you want to run multiple characters in multiple factions this book presents how to provide a core scenario with multiple variations 
depending on where your players are coming from. And it's yep. a great guidebook for how to do that by example. Sure. Yep, 100%. So as we could probably dig into detail about this book and this one particular adventure for many times, I, I think we've we've I hope we've wet your whistle and hope you've inspired you to read this particular book because if you like aberrant, I think you need to read it. Yep, agreed. But I think we're not gonna we're not gonna do more to do that. So I think you should probably keep your quantum powered arms that are just as normal as being queer in any way around the Trinity Continuum.